Oh, to be a Baltimore fan right now. The Baltimore Orioles have built up what could be a tremendous core of talented young players who gave their fans a surprise winning season in 2022. So naturally, ownership is trying to screw the whole thing up. We're bringing in Connor Newcomb from Lockdown Orioles to make sense out of all of this. This is Lockdown MLB. You are Locked On MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, baseball fans, and hello, live streamers, and welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Locked On Pockets Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast. We talk about all of Major League Baseball. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. If you don't believe me, please look at my lower third. It tells you to call me Sully. I am an Emmy-nominated television producer who has been a podcaster for the last decade or so, probably more than that at this point, and I am now itching my nose and telling you that I am starting my fifth season as a host here on the Locked On Podcast Network, where it is indeed your team every day. You can follow us on Twitter at Locked On MLB Pods. Same handle on Instagram. Follow me. I'm your pal, Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. And be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube. And if you subscribe to us on YouTube, you get notified. Easy for you to say when we do a live stream like this. And if you happen to be watching us in the live stream, feel free to throw questions in the chat, which is also French for cat, C-H-A-T, chat, cat. But do you know what? We're not talking about the cat. We're talking about the bird. And we're not talking about just any bird. We're not talking about blue jays. We're not talking about cardinal. No. We're talking specifically about the birds of Baltimore. Coming back is our old friend Connor Newcomb, host of Locked On Orioles. How you doing, buddy? Oh, uh, it's it's been fun these last couple of days, Sully, let me tell you. Um, you know, it's people are excited in Baltimore, you know, and on the flip side, you got the Ravens losing. So people a little down. They're thinking, you know what? Let's turn to the Orioles. They, they gave us a, a plus last year. And then John Angelos gets in front of a camera. All right. Well, let's I'm going to see. Uh, it's kind of my new leaf that I've turned over in 2023. I'm being being super positive. Let's be positive first. But yes, OK, let's do it. Let's yes. be positive, because a lot of times you see teams that are in perpetual states of rebuilding. Um, you know, how many rebuilds have the Pirates done? How many rebuilds have the Royals done? How many rebuilds have the Marlins done? Yes, the Royals rebuild in the mid-2010s resulted in a World Series title. If the Pirates got a little bit lucky or they had a wild card series instead of a wild card game, chances are they win one of the wild card games that they played. And I actually think the 2015 Pirates would have gone on to win the World Series. I digress. A lot of times those teams are just constantly, oh, we're trading away our young players. We're trading away. We're trading away. And there's no hope. And the Orioles looked like they were being one of those teams, except in 2022, things started to blossom. The Rutschmans of the world, the Santanders of the world, the Cedric Mullins of the world, a lot of these players started contributing, and lo and behold, they climbed out of the cellar, high Red Sox, and gave Oriole fans a winning season in so many ways 
That's the point of a baseball season is to give your fans something to cheer for for the summer. And for the first time since Buck Showalter let Ubaldo Jimenez face Edwin Encarnacion, the Orioles were fun and relevant. It's crazy to think that, you know, especially in an expanded playoff era, that you could have a season where you do not have a season, and yet every single fan comes away just ecstatic. That is what happened in Baltimore in 2022. I mean, adding 31 wins is really hard to do. Going from 52 to 83 wins, and Sully, this is without, like, spending big in free agency. No. I mean, they didn't do anything in the offseason. They just promoted some prospects and developed some guys, and they added 31 wins. Now, they're not going to add 31 more wins, or they may go down as, like, the greatest team in, in or the greatest turnaround ever in baseball. But adding 31 wins, I mean, we looked up at the end of the season. The Euros won 83 games. They finished three games out of the wild card behind the Rays. And fans looked around and said, this is the most fun we've had in six years since they last made the playoffs, since that fateful night where Zach Britton didn't pitch that you mentioned. And it was an awesome summer. And, you know, they had a terrible April. They had a pretty bad September. But everything in the middle was awesome. And you're getting some people being enthusiastic like our pal Spencer in the chat room says, I'm rooting for the O's for sure. There you go, Spence. Thanks for thanks for logging in there. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that made it exciting was this wasn't like a patchwork. We're just going to sign a bunch of players and, you know, push our chips to the center of the table like the 1997 Marlins. These were players who say, oh, look, it, they're going to be good. And they're young. They're part of the, you know, they're, they've been brought up through the farm system, especially after, you know, there was a couple of big whiffs, not the least of which was the Manny Machado trade, which has turned into an absolute bust, uh, that you're seeing, oh, my God, there's reason to be optimistic. There's reason to think that maybe the Baltimore Orioles may have a winning team that's being built for, you know, the near future and for now. Yeah, and, and you look at it, you mentioned the Manny Machado trade. That 2018 trade deadline was when the Orioles just completely blew it up. They traded Machado, they traded Jonathan Scope, Kevin Gaussman, Zach Britton, Darren O'Day, like all those guys got traded away. When you break down who really helped the Orioles win this season, there were only two of the 15 players they got at that deadline who actually helped them this year. You could argue three, but really two. One was Dean Kramer, who turned out to be the only useful piece they got back for Manny Machado. He, you could argue, was their best starting pitcher at times this year, but he's not number one. He's more of a, a number three moving forward. Right. And a then there was, pitcher. He's a major yes. league pitcher. So. And then there was Dylan Tate, who was just a really good setup man, but you can kind of find those anywhere. You don't need to rely on a good setup man to be the best thing you get from a Zach Britton trade. That's all they got from that deadline four years prior. And remember, those trades were not made by Mike Elias. They were made by the previous GM, Dan Duquette. He came in after that fire sale, and Elias was still able to help build up this team. And yeah, I would like them to spend a little bit more money, but it was wild to win 31 plus games with a different team. Last, you know, 2021 did not have Adley Rutschman. 2021 did not have Dean Kramer, or Kyle Bradish, or Felix Bautista, or, you know, some of these guys like Gunnar Henderson who came up at the end of the year. But it wasn't like they added any free agents. They just brought up the right guys, pushed the right buttons. Brandon Hyde did a heck of a job, and they won 83 games out of nowhere. Yeah. And um, excuse me, a little bit of a cough I have here, but um, there was also, amidst all the 
jumping up and down and being happy to have the um, sorry about that having a relevant team there was a little bit of anger from the fans with the uh the dealing of Trey Mancini and the dealing of Lopez at the trade deadline which was kind of like the Orioles were within striking distance of one of the wild card spots and they start acting like it was old times where we're going to trade away our young player or trade away our veteran players when they probably should have been adding players that gave a little bit of a preview of the fact that maybe ownership didn't get the the memo that now was the time to be positive yeah it was i believe they were two and a half out at the deadline two and a half out of the final wild card spot and you know it wasn't just trading away those two guys it was that they didn't add you know you see teams nowadays do these kind of middle trade deadlines where they will deal away a couple big leaguers and then in separate trades, they'll also add some big leaguers. And it'll all be about, you know, how many years of control they have and, and extending some other guys. The Orioles just kind of traded away Trey Mancini, who was kind of the heart and soul of this team. Of course, had cancer in 2020, misses the entire year, comes back in 21 after colon cancer, has a good year, 2022, even better. And... Again, he was an impending free agent, but he was a lot of that clubhouse. And then Jorge Lopez was the Orioles' only all-star last year as their closer. And they traded them both away, and they did get good returns, at least it looks like, for both those players, but returns that weren't able to help them down the stretch. And, you know, they they could have used a bat in September. The offense really struggled. They missed Trey Mancini in the middle of that order. And the bullpen, which was very young, they got tired at the end of the year. And guys had to step up into bigger roles. And without Jorge Lopez, that hurt as well. And so it was a little bit of negative there. And you can look at it and say, well, the Orioles probably wouldn't have re-signed Mancini anyway, so he would have been gone. And the one thing that O's fans are holding on to, Jorge Lopez, when he got dealt to Minnesota, was terrible down the stretch. Yeah, He was the closer for Minnesota when they got him. I think, Sully, he was pitching in the fifth inning of like eight to one games by the end of the year for the Twins. Minnesota so, had a stunning collapse. Yes. I mean, remember, and, and, they were in first place for most of the year last year, and, and they finished me, with a losing season. To me, I think some of Lopez's struggles were that he went from a team where, I mean, all the energy was positive around the Orioles, to when he got to Minnesota, they were starting to go in the wrong direction a little bit at the trade deadline, and I think it just all collapsed around him, and it, 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 it was hard to, to get guys out. But, yeah, it was disappointing to see them do that and not add on the other end. Did they make their farm system a little better? Yeah, they did, but you had a team that was in playoff contention. And right. they didn't they didn't they didn't go away from the initial plan, even though they were winning a lot more games. And so that was a little disappointing. But you know, winning record is a, a winning record. And they were I mean, they had a series at Yankee Stadium with five games remaining in the season, and they were still alive for the playoffs. It was it was a sight to behold. And I mean, that would have been one of the longest odd bets if you had started the year saying that the Orioles were going to finish with a winning season. I don't know what the odds are, but if you were going to bet on that, that would have been a uh, – you would have cleaned up. By the way, if you're going to make any bets, go to Bet Online, which right now remains your number one spot for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds and trends from every professional amateur league out there, from pro football to college bowl season – basketball world cup they got it all at betonline.net if you love sports podcasts i'm guessing you do you're listening to me right now you can even find those at bet online as well we're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info 
Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online. Let me tell you, it's where the game starts. All right. Well, we're here with Connor Newcomb. Now, I'm going to pull back the curtain a little bit. Uh, I've been trying to get every single host of the Locked On uh, ML and all the MLB hosts to be on at least one show this offseason. So we can sort of get a sense of each one of the teams. I'm going to have to have Ben Kaspik of Locked On Giants on again because he was on during that perfect window of opportunity where they had the Carlos Correa. <clears throat> and I think his outlook is going to be a tiny bit different now. Now, you and I have been playing a little bit of email tag, and we had established that we were going to record this tonight on the 17th of January. Now, as it turned out, our timing was fortuitous. So, Connor, as you have done a, uh, how do we say it, a massive Oriole rant on today's episode of Locked on Orioles, what is it about today that would make an Orioles podcaster, oh, I don't know, a smidge emotional? Well, for those of you outside of Baltimore who may have missed this, uh, the Orioles' current face of their ownership family is John Angelos. His dad, Peter, was and still sort of is the owner of the team. He was the owner for a long time. Peter is not in good health, so he's basically turned the team over to his sons, Always a good thing. Always works out really, really well. He's turned the team over to his sons, John and Lewis. And John and Lewis have been fighting a little bit about who really should be running the Orioles. Now there is a very public intra-family lawsuit with John versus Lewis, with John being more of the baseball guy, more of the front-facing guy. But Lewis is the smarter guy, I would say. He's the one who actually passed the bar. He's the one who runs their law firm. And they're currently fighting it out in the public eye. Well, that story about that lawsuit broke about six months ago. And everyone said, well, they got to sell the team, don't they? Like, what are the Orioles' ownership going to be? Well, John Angelos, the Angelos family, never showed their faces until Monday when they did a press conference with Baltimore Mayor Brandon Scott about, which was a great thing. They donated $5 million to a charity in Baltimore that helps um, kids in the city pay for college. It's a great their operating budget, I believe, is $5 million, so Angelo just doubled their budget with this charitable do- donation. It was great. But he held this press conference, and he gave the Orioles the okay to invite the baseball media because he said, yeah, I'll take some questions. And, of course, when he opened it up for questions, what did the Orioles reporters in the room do? Well, they did their job, and they asked him two questions. One was about the Orioles' lease at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, which ends at the end of 2023. They have not signed the five-year lease extension. They have not got a lease renewal. And he was asked about, well, your family is publicly fighting in the media. What does that mean for the future of the team and the future of the relationship with the city? He, Dan Connolly of The Athletic asked that to the mayor as well. John Angelos didn't like that question. I can't imagine he wasn't expecting it because what else are we going to ask you when you haven't shown your face since this lawsuit began? But... Not only did he, what he could have said is, I'm not taking those questions right now. We'll have a baseball-related press conference later and leave it at that. No, no, no. He went on to berate Dan Connolly for the next 10 minutes or so, talk about how he was out of touch, that he should be asking this on Martin Luther King Day, how Dr. King wouldn't have wanted us to be talking about baseball right now, um, and asked the reporter, are you from here? 
when he grew up in Baltimore and has lived and worked here and covered the Orioles for over 20 years. Um, he talked about how... Hold, 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 hold on a second, Connor. Yes. Are we not supposed to talk about baseball on Dr. King's Day? I've, I now think we're not allowed to talk baseball on any holidays, actually. Um, okay. Now, Because I, he did say, I have a dream that the Orioles will build a foundation from the ground up and have a winning product on the field left yeah. and right. Well, I believe today is National Benjamin Franklin Day, and I don't think Ben Franklin would have wanted us to do this crossover right now, Sully. That's true. But That's true. I digress. Well, I should have been locked on Phillies because he's yes, a there you go. guy. Um, and so but he, born in Boston, though. He yes. was born in Boston. He continued to go at him about how he wasn't in touch with the common man because, yes, the billionaire trust fund baby owner of the Orioles is certainly in touch uh, with the common man of Baltimore. John Angelos went to talk about how he's lived in Baltimore his whole life, not just Maryland, but Baltimore City. But funny enough that when John was sued by his brother last year, the listed address for John Angelos was Nashville, Tennessee, where he spends most of his time and has for the last decade or so. So that brings us to the end of that weird, weird rant where everyone was bashing Angelos for this. And we are still at the point where he has not signed the lease for Camden Yards. He has not said anything about the future of the ownership of the family while they sue each other. But what he did say is, come back next week, come to the third floor of the warehouse. I'll open the books for you and I'll show you the financials. This is not the time, but I'll show you the financials. So I'm very interested to see a week from now if the Orioles owner opens up the financials to the media. Now, here's the hint. He won't. No. But he said he would. Well, well, why is he opening up the books? What is that? Doesn't that imply that the books are bad? Doesn't that imply that he didn't want to open them before? Yes, it does. Don't. Why would people want to know so much about the books? If you're running a $200 million payroll, I don't think many people would care about the books. They'd say, oh, you're spending fine and you're trying to win. Well, when the Orioles' payroll last year was about $40 million, and you have teams like the Mets pushing $300 million, that's probably why people want to look in the books when you're 30th out of 30 in payroll in Major League Baseball. And when you sign four Major League free agents this offseason, and it jumps you from 30th to 28th in payroll in baseball, I think people probably want to look at the books. You know what? One of the great weird ironies is, is in 1992 when Kevin Yards opened, the Orioles, who were not very good that year, but were selling out, and suddenly Baltimore became one of the great destination spots of baseball. Of which I, I will note that I've never—I've never been to a game at Camden Yards. I have been to a game at Memorial Stadium. Memorial Stadium was a great place to see a baseball game, and I used to wish they could dynamite around it, lift it up and drag it to another city that needs a ballpark. Put that in the parking lot of Oakland, and there all of a go. sudden you save the A's. Um, I also think they should have done that with Turner Field when they moved out of Turner Field or the ballpark in Arlington. Just move one of them to Oakland, and let's call it a day. That being said, the Orioles became the model of how to keep your team from moving as all the teams started lining up to build a Camden Yards-like mm -hmm. ballpark. And you saw the explosion of parks, which ironically uh, created a new kind of cookie cutter look because some of the stadiums are very difficult to tell 
Am I looking at Philadelphia, Washington, or St. Louis right now? Um, but <clears throat> that being said, if Baltimore becomes a city that they're playing footsie about a stadium and needing to build a new stadium or do something like that, that's just absolutely surreal to me because Baltimore led the way in how to do it right in terms of building a ballpark, in terms of creating a, a place that would be a destination. But that was 31 years ago. And I don't know, is it? I, I can't imagine they would want to replace Camden Yards, but would that mean they would want to move the Orioles? Would they want to go to, and I'm just going to pick a random city here uh, that is looking for a Major League Baseball team. I'm just going to pull it out of thin air. Uh, just a random Nashville. Where did that come from? Just, just you know, just put. I don't know why I suddenly thought of that. Yeah, just close your eyes and point at a map, and oh, there's Nashville. The Nashville Orioles. Yeah, there have been local media members that have pushed this narrative for a while that the Orioles are going to move to Nashville. The one thing I will say about John Angelos when he does speak, which isn't often, he continues to say the Orioles are staying in Baltimore, as long as I am the owner. He said in 2019, as long as, I believe he said, as long as Fort McHenry is watching over the city, the Orioles will be in Baltimore. That was pretty much his direct quote in 2019. Now, I think he's going to keep them here. And there's nothing, there's no talk about a new ballpark. There's nobody like blackmailing the city like certain owners have done in the past to get a new ballpark. That's currently not happening. What the case is, the Orioles lease is up at the end of 2023. The state has already committed more public funds to build kind of the area around the ballpark up in the next 10 years or so. The Orioles just moved the wall back. They're talking about more updates to the stadium. They're not looking for a new ballpark, but the lease is up at the end of the year. The Orioles can sign a one-time five-year extension that is due by February 1st. Now, if you're going to have a press conference where you're talking about the Orioles' relationship with the city, you know you're going to be asked about that lease extension that is due to be signed two weeks from when you're having that press conference. And yet somehow he was surprised to be asked that. And if they were to move with this ownership group, Nashville would make perfect sense because he lives in Nashville and they are certainly looking for a Major League Baseball team, whether it's expansion or whether it's a team moving there. And it's funny you bring up 92 because you could argue that Outside of them, obviously, never winning a championship, you know, they got to a couple of ALCSs, but did not win one in the 90s. The 90s for the Orioles is a pretty ideal baseball decade for a franchise. You have them building a beautiful new ballpark. You have them selling out for years. You have the team in 96 and 97, you could argue being the best team in baseball each of those years. And I really think one of those teams should have won a World Series. And you also have the Orioles in 96 and 97, both years, they were second in the league in payroll behind the Yankees. And in 98, the Orioles actually crossed the Yankees. They were number one in payroll. They were the first team ever to cross $70 million in payroll. You fast forward, same ownership group, 20-some years later, and they were last in payroll last year. Things are different well, now. You also forgot that if there was um, one of the two or three top baseball moments of the 1990s took place in Camden Yards. 2131. Yeah, exactly. I mean that was a that was a game that you know came when there was all the bitterness about the strike and people who were not baseball fans were drawn into that. But do you know what? 
there's a lot of things that they can do to maybe add payroll or to add interest. And I understand that sometimes they're adding incentives to the contracts. And sometimes it's, you know, higher pace and it's longer years. And sometimes they're built bars. And if you're looking for a delicious treat, but don't want all the fat and calories, then you've got to try a built bar. Now, guess what? A lot of us are trying to be healthier here in 2023. And if you're like me, you're trying your best, but you don't want to compromise taste. Then guess what? you got to try built. With built, healthy is actually tasty. They're so delicious, you won't think they're good for you. And they're perfect for your New Year's resolution. Easy for you to say. But what makes Built Bars so great? Well, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. And they come in great flavors. Churro, peanut butter brownie, coconut almond. I'm not sure how Built Bar does it, but these bars taste like candy bars. And it kind of makes me mad. And they maintain great macros. You're into stats. You want to be sabermetric with your snacks. Well, guess what? 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 17 grams of protein. And you used to have to go to built.com. You still can. You used to have to order your boxes. You still can. But do you know what? Sometimes I needed that built bar yesterday. Well, guess what? Head over to Walmart or Sam's Club, and you can go to the pharmacy section at Walmart, pick a box of built bars, get the four bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, coconut puffs. I'm not going to judge which flavor you like. If you go to Sam's Club, get a 13-bar box with our hit flavors, brownie batter churro. Thank me later. Guess what, folks? It's that time. You got to eat it right. Get that Built Bar and sing that song. Built Bar at Built.com. We're here with Connor Newcomb of uh, Lockdown Orioles. Uh, by the way, where are my regular listeners and commenter is panorama jazz band panorama brass band huge huge oriole fan who says wait what nashville yeah well you got a band go over there there's lots of music there it's music city you should be happy um by the way uh uh adam scott bristol who's also one of my uh active listeners said um uh, uh, I'm pretty sure Cal Ripken ate Bill Bars his entire career. That's well, that's, how do you think he played all those games? Yeah. Uh, he also said uh, earlier in the chat, I was going to bring this up, he doesn't follow the Orioles closely enough, but might it matter if one son or the other rests control of the team? Is that an issue? There's an issue happening. And it's King Lear. The, really what's happening is right now we have the one son, John, versus the other son, Lewis, and their mother. So it's Lewis and their mother on one side. They're saying that they should have more control. And it's John on the other side wanting to do things himself. And the reason why it's like this is because John is more of the outward guy. He's always been more comfortable in the spotlight, kind of talking at these things. Even though he's only done two public appearances in the last four years, he's more comfortable. Lewis is more of a guy who you're not really going to see much from. But also, um, Lewis thinks he should have control because he thinks he could. She, he should have control of the law firm too because John didn't pass the bar and Lewis did. So Lewis continued kind of the family tradition of working at the law firm and being a lawyer. It's really messy. This lawsuit is going to drag on. The Orioles are already involved in a big lawsuit with the Nationals and how much of the Masson regional streaming network or a regional cable network, I should say money should be paid out to each team. 
That's a whole big lawsuit that's still going on. Now you have the owners fighting each other. And it's all leading to they're not paying enough attention to the baseball team, which just had a winning season out of nowhere and needs to spend some money for some free agents to get to that next level and get to the postseason. And I mean, I said it on you know, our Wednesday episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. I just think John Angelos is an idiot. And I just think he has no feel, no wherewithal for what's going on. And now, now Connor, I'm going to ask you. You and I talked about we're, we're going to say it like it is. I'd rather have you not sugarcoat it. What do you really think about him? I think he is a pretentious billionaire who thinks that nothing can happen to him bad. And that's the way he's been treated because his dad made his family a ton of money. And that's the other thing about John versus Louis Angeles. I've made it very clear on my podcast and in my regular life that I am not a fan of billionaires or multimillionaires. But if you made me choose a side between the brother Louis and the brother John, I would take Louis Angelos because he's the one who actually got his law degree, passed the bar, and went to work for his dad. And at the very least, you could argue he earned some of the money he's getting passed down. John Angelos didn't do those things. He just wanted to step up when his dad got sick and have all the glory of being the owner of the Orioles. And the funny part about the Angelos family is nobody in Baltimore has ever really loved them. They, they liked him in the 90s because the Angelos has got the ballpark. They spent on the team. The team was good. Since then, since the Orioles had those 15 straight losing seasons, nobody's really liked the Angeloses. Funny thing is, if you're ranked from f- first to 30, the most maybe generally likable owners, or at least the ones who got their money in the least problematic ways, you would put the Angelos as number one. Because this isn't crazy blood money. These aren't some weird companies, giant tech enterprises that preyed on a bunch of people to make this money. Peter Angelos got his fortune from representing the working class in the mid-Atlantic in like the 80s and 90s and before and and still did up until he got really sick because of asbestos and people getting mesothelioma and basically represented all of these workers and got them huge payouts from their companies. And so you could argue he did kind of a good thing somewhat to get his money, which to me would say he should end up being one of the more likable owners. But when you don't spend your money on your baseball team since basically 2000. And then you leave it to a son who is basically an episode of succession. (laughs) That's, that's where we're at with the Angelos's. Any, uh, first of all, as I alluded to anytime a father hands the business down to the kids, it almost always is a calamity. You know, I mean, you're, it, it, you know, it, it just, how do I put it gently? You know, everyone thinks they're going to be Michael. And it always turns out to be a family of Fredos. And, um, you know, I just, it's its a shame. The Orioles should be one of the, the marquee teams. They should be a team that has great history of success and, and success over several different decades. Uh, you know, they won World Series titles in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And there was a period of time they were more consistent than the Yankees in that period of time. 
and they were really one of the glamour franchises. And there are always going to be times it looked like it was about to happen again. And then, you know, it doesn't quite work out. And I don't know. I, the, the, it, it seems like a no-brainer at this point that you have a team that has a fan base that is just bursting at the seams to be excited for this team. And they have a winning record with a bottom-of-the-barrel payroll and you just think, okay, this is what we got to do. We add it. We we need to just raise our payroll to mediocrity. You know, you're not going to go from thirtieth to first, okay? But what if you, uh, uh, you know, build it up from, you know, oh, just to the the hot the the tw- like twentieth, you know, and you you and you get in the mix. I wanted them in the mix of the for Carlos Correa. Yep. Now. The way it turned out, almost every team was going to schedule uh, an announcement for Carlos Correa. Yes. One tenth of the teams in baseball scheduled a press conference with Carlos Correa. Ten uh, percent of baseball thought they had him. Um, but I just see—it seems like a no-brainer when you have a young core of players that you can turn around and say, "Okay, let's go put some new. Let's put some players in here. Let's fill a few holes." Not for long-term solution, but so you come in and you have some of these young players playing alongside some stable veterans. You know, yesterday was Albert Pujols' birthday, and Pujols' contract with the Angels was, uh, in some ways, a notorious bust. But I can't help but wonder, in his first year with the Angels, first year in Anaheim, was also Mike Trout's first year. And I can't help but wonder... If Trout being alongside a future Hall of Famer, whether or not that had a positive effect on him. Trout was crushed when they got rid of Albert Pujols. And Pujols did not have any, I mean, far from the player he was in St. Louis. But having that veteran, having that Hall of Famer, I have no doubt had some positive impact on making Trout the face of the franchise. I can't help but think when you have some of these young players on the team, having a few veterans along there is going to help accelerate what I call the ten, the Terry Pendleton uh, effect of when Pendleton joined the Braves the and Charlie Liebrandt joined the Braves that same year. That had an effect, and a last-place team went to with, almost won the World Series the next year in 1991. It seemed to me that the Orioles need to do that. They need to strike while the, the, the iron is hot. And say, let's throw a couple of established major leaguers with all these exciting young players, not to be the not ten year deals, but fill in some of the holes and give Oriole fans a little bit of of excitement. That yeah, next year's going to be fun again. And instead, we're talking about, are, do we have to move to freaking Nashville? Yeah, and, and are we watching a, a half assed version of King Lear being played alongside the warehouse of Camden Yards. You, you know, both points are the saying you need some adults in the room. The team itself needs some adults in the room. The ownership group needs some adults in the room. And Sully, I mean, they have brought in a few veterans, but they did so last year. But here's the thing they did last year. They brought in Jordan Lyles, Robinson Trinos, and Rugnetto Dorr. Guys who have been on good baseball teams before, guys who have all been around for you know almost 10 years in the majors, and some of those guys contributed, some didn't. Basically, they were, hey, let's help these rookies kind of learn how to play in the major leagues. 
Now, what I thought they would do this offseason at the very least is say, let's take that same blueprint of getting some adults in here, but some guys who will actually also contribute right. to the That's, team. Yes, yes. Now, they marginally upgraded those guys. So they went from Jordan Lyles to Kyle Gibson. Marginal upgrade. They went from Rugnet Odor to Adam Frazier. That might not even be an upgrade. It's maybe a small upgrade. They went from Robinson Torinos to James McCann. Small upgrade. But those are still all guys on one-year deals who, yes, they make the team a little better. They help on the margins. They help with the depth. And they're adults in the room who have been on good baseball teams. But they didn't hound out any multi-year deals at all. There's still one-year guys who are going to be gone after 2023. Heck, if the Orioles take a step back, they're guys who are going to be traded probably at the trade deadline. They didn't do anything to address, hey, let's maybe get an adult in the room that knows he's going to be here for three years. And when he starts to mentor, you know, Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, and the next crop of prospects that are coming up this year, he can really go all in because he's saying, you know what? I'm a, I'm a starting pitcher. I'm Chris Bassett. I'm 35. The Orioles just gave me three years. I know I'm not going to be their ace for long, but maybe I can start opening day for them this year. And then I can teach Grayson Rodriguez how to be an ace, how to be an opening day starter. I can teach him how to prepare at the big league level. And then when the season ends, I don't have to walk away on my one-year deal like Jordan Lyles did and like Kyle Gibson's going to do. I have two more years where they're paying me $15, $16, 17000000 million a year. And in that second year of the deal, wow, this Orioles team around me might be a legit team. I might be the number four veteran starter on this team, and we're trying to go to the playoffs. I think that would have been perfect. A guy like that, like a Chris Bassett for this Orioles team. Yeah, he's not an ace, but you can start him on opening day because he's an adult, and then you can help all your young pitchers, and you can sign him to a multi-year deal. It's just been one-year deals. And why wasn't – I mean, look, I brought up Correa because I felt that that having a a star, bringing in a star, importing a star to this team would do a lot for off-season interest and also do a lot for the team to look up and say, oh, you're behind us. But, okay, Correa was a, has been a health nightmare. No one knows what the hell they're getting from him. Why weren't they even burped about Xander Bogarts? Why weren't yeah. they even burped about Trey Turner? Both of those guys would – there's a big hole at shortstop in Baltimore. And to have a World Series winning shortstop to say, hey, you're here for the long term. You're someone who could be a key part – the long-term part of this team and they they you know and world series champion blah 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 been there done that now i'm going to do it here you're you're serious and it's not even i mean they weren't even rumored to be going for them yeah and you have to split it into two things because i think mike elias and his like front office regime on that level below ownership i think there is some sort of a headspace that comes from the Astros somewhat because they haven't done this a lot. You know, they let Carlos Correa walk a couple years ago where they are not prepared to hand out like these 10-year deals. And they kind of don't agree with it because they think the back half is going to hurt them so much. However, there is a middle part between 10 years, 300 million and giving Kyle Gibson one year, 10 million to be your number five starter. There's a lot of meat in the middle. And I think Mike Elias, although he I don't think he wants to give out the 10 contract. I think he wants to give out the three or four year contract for $60 million to get a good baseball player on this team. I think the Angeloses are so worried about suing each other that they're saying, Hey Mike, you can increase our payroll by 15 million this year. 
Well, after arbitration, you're already up 13 million. So how many free agents can you really sign after that? And that's kind of where the Orioles ended up this year, I feel like. And, you know, talking about shortstop, like they have a really good stopgap right now. And Jorge Mateo, he had a great defensive year. His bat was, eh, but he stole 35 bases and he won the Fielding Bible Award at shortstop. That is a perfect stopgap to hit ninth on a team that is getting better. But if you bring but, in but, uh, Xander Bogarts, I'm, yeah, Jorge Mateo, say, I'm sorry, you have Jorge you Mateo have becomes that's my whole point. Jorge Mateo becomes this awesome pinch runner, you know, who's a defensive replacement for you late in the games, and he's like this electric weapon that comes in and can Dave Roberts you in the ninth inning of a game and steal you two bases and score the tying run. And then instead of having Jorge Mateo bat ninth, you have Jorge Mateo on the bench and you have Xander Bogarts batting third, and your team is ten times better. That's what they needed to do. Or they needed to at least take it one step down and say, we're, we're not ready to give out $300 million to a shortstop. But you know what? Carlos Rodon is only costing one fifty, and we need an ace. Yeah. Or, you know, I mentioned Chris Bat. That's the thing. They didn't even go after, legitimately, the kind of middle crop of pitchers, the Bassets, the Jamison Tyons, the Sean Manias, the guys who, when they're Even on Johnny and they're healthy, Cueto for that matter. Yeah, when yeah. they're on and healthy, can be good. You know, the, the guys who signed for about four years, sixty million this offseason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Orioles, I had heard they they talked to all those guys. They had meetings with them. They had zooms with them. They loved Kodai Senga. Kodai Senga really wanted to go to New York. They offered a guy like Jamison Tyon somewhere around two years, twenty five million. He signed for four years, $72 million. You're not even playing in the same stratosphere with these other teams with those offers. It's nice you're talking to these guys and giving out offers, but they're just laughing in their faces when they're getting double the years and three times the money from another team. So it's almost like the prospects are great. They're getting better. This team's young. But with the Angelos is still in charge, I think it's kind of a good place to end it where we started by yelling at the Angelos. With the Angelos is in charge... How much better can the O's get because they're not willing to give out free agent contracts? And guess what? You can't keep Adley Rutschman forever on rookie money. At some point, he gets expensive in arbitration, and at some point, he becomes a free agent. That's kind of the doomsday look ahead for Orioles fans is in five years, are they talking about trading Adley Rutschman because they're not spending any money? That's that's when it gets too dark to continue talking about it. Yeah, too. Jesus, we're a funeral here. Well, look at. Um, hope you enjoyed the fun year you had last year because you're off to the the Angels are moving the team and gutting them and heading them off to Nashville. You heard it here first. Um, but hey, by the way, everyone, thanks so much for making Locked On MLB your first listen. Your second listen, obviously, make it Locked On Orioles. Then. Go to Locked On MLB Prospects. Host Lindsey Crosby is a prospect encyclopedia. He's going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. How many of them are Orioles? We'll find out. It's available for free wherever you get your podcasts. Speaking about free and wherever you get your podcasts, uh, Connor Newcomb, where can people listen to your great show? Yeah, wherever you get your podcasts and uh, on YouTube as well. Make sure to subscribe to the Locked On Orioles podcast. It's great. And you can follow us at Locked On MLB Pods on both Twitter and Instagram. Follow me on Instagram at Locked On I'm at Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. And be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube. We're, we're gunning for our goal this year, which is 1 billion subscribers. We're a little bit short. We fell short last year by a couple hundred million. But we're trying. 
We're trying. And uh, if you don't believe me, Panorama Jazz Band says, y'all are my first two listens for sure. That's right. Be like Panorama Jazz Band, Panorama Brass Band, Ramalama Ding Dong. This has been a Locked On MLB, Locked On Orioles crossover for the 17th day of January 2023. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.